Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm well, with a question mark. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Uh, Happy New Year to every, everyone of our listeners. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I hope New it was Year a all. good one. Uh, I hope you've uh, continued your resolutions at the time of recording. It is the 12th of January, so uh, I think now's about the time, isn't it? They say if people have made resolutions, it's about now that they've already started to quit them. Did you make one? Um, I did not. No, I did not. Did you? No, because I, I decided that I'm perfect already, so it would be well, a... A friend, a, of mine, a, f- a friend of mine, I asked her if she had any New Year's resolutions and she said, um, no, I don't like resolutions. Uh, I've, I've got some things. Uh, oh, I forget what the bloody word she said now. Um, but yeah, she said she didn't have any resolutions, but she had things that she'd like to um, improve upon. And I was like, well, that's a resolution, right? And she was like, yeah, no, just, no, 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 no. Just in different wording. Yeah, she's like, no, but resolutions are things that you'd like to change about yourself. And she's like, I don't want to change anything. I just want to improve on certain aspects. It doesn't have to be. One of my uh, New Year's resolutions once was to beat my friend at bowling. Like that was... <laughs> Did you? No. Oh, mate. Crack that was on. like over a decade ago as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no. It doesn't I, have I mean... to be anything deep. Yeah, I think it's one of those, you know, tomato, tomato things. But um, I think it's a resolution, but she says it isn't. Um, Listen, I don't know. I don't have any resolutions. I think I'm pretty all right at the moment. I mean, I have things I'd like to do and uh, things I'd like to uh, achieve this year um, mm. on a personal note. But um, no, I don't really have anything I'm like, yeah, I want to change this. I want to do something a bit this. So, no. 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 Uh, I'd like this podcast to just continue to soar on the trajectory that it is going. Um, mm, 2021 that- was a good year. 2021 is a very good year for that's what people do um all thanks to the listeners of course you guys listening to this episode right now which i know many will be because like i i I, you must have notifications on because as soon as this episode goes out within a day it's like everyone's listened to it (laughs) and then you're like give me more please it is good i must apologize on a a personal level to some listeners who message me and attempt to talk i will message back it might just take me about three to five working days i'm really (laughs) bad at responding (laughs) yeah I can attest to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do see the message. I see it instantly, and I think I'll respond to that later, and I forget is what happens. James is also going for a very stressful time at university at the moment. I have a lot of assignments. I'm very stressed, very mm. stressed. I'm also sitting here wearing a That's What People Do hoodie. Yes, James has finally jumped on board. He's wearing some official TWPD merch. It's really nice, and I'm not just saying that to get you to buy it. It's genuinely really nice. I would say, as a hoodie, it would also be nice in summer because it's not too thick. It's, it's, it's a nice material. Yeah, well, and they, the, uh, yeah. And the, that's what people do. Logo isn't sort of like stuck on. You know how they iron stuff on, and it's mm. crappy like sticker. You know what I mean? It's sort of like it's not embroidered, but it's just it's it's not it's on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That, that's a, a good review from one of the founders of That's What People Do, talking about the I merch. I really like it. We're not biased. I, really like, I got it a couple of days ago, and I have only worn this since. And one of yeah. my housemates was like, you're wearing your own merch? I was like, yes, I am. Yeah, and I'll continue right. to do so. Yeah, it's all right. You have to wear your own merch. You've got to, we've, got, we've got to promote the show, which I'm about to do now. If you'd like to join James in wearing some of the merch, uh, you can head to www.twpd.store. Um, and you can pick up the merch there. I'm going to be picking up some more shirts and bits and bobs soon. Um, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to head over to our 
store and pick up um uh, try and create a few more designs try and add a few more things to the store uh see if we can get hats onto the store i really want a cap yeah so i think that's something we should heavily look into i really really want a cap because yeah. if anyone knows me i wear caps everywhere yeah <laughs> um so yeah trying to get uh hats on store because that would be really good uh, and also want to get myself a mug so get yourself something guys uh also if you'd like to support the show uh head to our Kofi page where you can donate to the show uh www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do uh, and yeah just if you'd like to uh, help support the show that's the way to do so right let's and that's today's episode so thanks for tuning in <laughs> yeah um, yeah and um, yeah so let's let's crack on shall we um, today we are talking about the man who saved the world today we're talking about a guy called Stanislav Petrov now it's 1983. The compact disc CD goes on sale for the first time in the UK. Man United win the FA Cup, beating Brighton 4-0. Margaret Thatcher is Prime Minister and the pound coin is introduced for the first time in this year. Quite a lot happened. Oh, and if you are interested... Culture Club's Karma Chameleon was number one in the charts for a very respectable six weeks. And if that's, a good song. if that's not now put in your head for the next six weeks, <laughs> you need to come, do come, more. Come, 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 chameleon. Uh, that's about as much as they think we're allowed to do now. She comes and goes. <laughs> Are we going to have to pay for it? I don't know. I've, what I just did was not audible <laughs> and not in tune. Uh, now, in the background... Tensions were high. So the Cold War had been thawing for some time with the war in Korea, Vietnam and the Cuban Missile Crisis and the UK being an ally of the United States and founding member of the UN was quite literally smack bang in the middle of two superpowers arguing over whose dad was the hardest, Russia and the US. Now a nuclear strike was an all too real threat for the people of the UK in fact, Panorama, a BBC documentary show, released an episode called If the Bomb Drops in 1980, giving British people advice on what to do in the event of a nuclear strike and what life might be like in the aftermath. That uh, Panorama episode as well was uh, hosted by um, Jeremy Paxman. Uh, and he is oh, yeah. he is very, very much a younger man there with a lot of hair and it looks really weird. Yeah, I can only ever see him as this old, old man. Yeah, grumpy old git. Oh. Yeah. Now, the BBC even had an emergency alert system pre-recorded that would interrupt broadcasting should a missile be detected. Now, this is something that I've always thought was one of the scariest things. You know, you see them in films, like in America, the screen goes like black and then it goes to white with an official logo and it's like uh, emergency and then it's just like a bunch of things, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, it's just films, it's just films. This shit's real. Uh, in Japan, and in fact in Korea, uh, if anything from like North Korea, any missiles get detected and whatnot, every single person who lives in an area that they think is like um, in, a, in, a, in the path of a missile gets a text alert saying, bunker down. So, my cousin lived in uh, Sapporo. I've probably pronounced that wrong. And there was a point a year or two ago where North Korea were getting really happy with their missiles and they sent one like flying over the islands and into the sea, you know what North Korea do. And he woke up to like 
this alert going off on his phone being like there's missiles being fired yeah which naturally would would really shit you up yeah yeah and and also like kind of weird that like you think oh it's my mobile phone it's got it's, it's my number if you've never given your number out to anyone how would someone get that number and you realize that you know people can get those the government just has that because obviously we get it every single person in the uk currently has had a text in all caps saying go get a booster jab yeah and everyone was complained about it all you have to do is read the text and if you don't want it go no thank you and then move on with your life yeah it takes more time out of your day to go on twitter and complain about it mm. so stop so um the bbc's emergency broadcast which uh, although as i said it's pre-recorded it wasn't done uh, with like a voice actor or anything as such it's it's like stephen hawking telling you shit's about to go real um and it, i listened to the whole thing and it's actually quite scary like it's really quite uh Oh, God. And I think that's the point of it. When you're listening to it, you're, you're supposed to take it seriously. You're supposed to be like, oh, this guy's not fucking about. Um, so I'm going to read that to you now. Uh, so it says, quote, We interrupt regular programming to bring you a message from Her Majesty's government. Please stand by and await further instruction. This is an emergency warning from the BBC. Information of a possible nuclear strike against this country has been received. The current threat level is critical, meaning an attack is imminent. Civilians are advised to stay in their homes. Evacuations are currently taking place in the London, Manchester, Birmingham and Leeds areas. If you are in these areas, police will lead you to safety. Follow their orders without question. If you are not in these areas, you should stay at home unless police tell you otherwise. All non-essential telephone lines have been disconnected for military use. You should begin your preparations for the strike. Collect 14 days worth of essential supplies, such as food, water, medicine and clothing. Ensure you have a battery-powered radio with a change of batteries for the duration of the sheltering period, to ensure you can listen to information and be all clear. Nuclear strikes create fallout, deadly dust which will spread for hundreds of miles and will affect everyone in this country, no matter how rural the area they live in. This deadly dust will cause radiation sickness followed by death. You are advised to build an inner refuge in the lowest and most central part of your home, as far away from external doors and windows as possible. Use non-flammable materials such as doors, tables, chairs and use bags and cases full of sand to bulk out the shelter. You and your family should remain in the shelter for the 14-day period you will remain at home. You will be unable to leave your fallout room. Collect water now. Water services will be disconnected to prevent major fallout contamination. And if you do not collect water now, you will not be able to collect it during the sheltering period. Collect approximately three and a half pints of water per person per day. Nuclear explosions have three main effects extreme heat, extreme light, and a shockwave blast. People in major cities which are likely to be targets are being evacuated as the explosion will destroy anything in its path for at least five miles. The area in which police will be unable to evacuate everyone, a siren will sound to alert that you are in a potential blast radius zone and evacuate to safety. Those that do not hear a siren should not evacuate as they are not in the blast zone and should spend time constructing an inner refuge. That would... I mean, you, you read that like a public service announcement as well, so that was great. <laughs> now, that would be playing again and again and again 
and again until it stops playing and when it stops playing it's probably because the bomb got dropped and the radio towers and the tv towers all got wiped the fuck out it, it's it would be fucking terrifying i remember speaking to my parents about this because they lived through the uh, 80s obviously uh, and they used to in school like get instructions of what to do if a nuke hit they'd get leaflets through the post mm. imagine oh, like that's terrifying mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's mad it's mad isn't it um and also at school be like get under your desk if a nuke hits don't get under I your desk i think it was just to give someone something there. to do or make them feel like they're doing something in their last minutes does that make sense I, I, I don't know what I'd do. I think constantly carry around a big old bottle of gin <laughs> and just start necking it. See, yeah, but this is, so this is the thing, right? So obviously this threat was known by many, but it wasn't one sitting in the minds of everyone all day, every day. And that's the thing I find really interesting, of course. Like, um, like our parents' generation, James, like they grew up through this. This was sort of, this would have been their 20s um, or 30s, this sort of era, like where they're just really sort of cracking on and becoming an adult now. Um, and I imagine a lot of them, it's not really at the forefront of their mind. It's probably somewhere in the back, but I've got work to go to, or I've got kids to raise or a family to sort of have and all this kind of shit. Maybe they weren't thinking about it all that often. Um, maybe, maybe, Mm. you know, they just didn't think on it too much, or maybe they just never believed it would happen. And in fact, on that Jeremy Paxman, uh, documentary from the 1980s, where they sort of say, listen, if this happens, this is what you do. At the beginning, he's like, listen, we know it's not likely to happen. We don't believe it is. But if it does, this is what we do. So, you know, maybe they were just told the right things. But I don't know. Bizarre. There's a website you can go on um, where you can, like, pick a nuclear oh, bomb yeah. of all the nuclear bombs that have been made and, like, drop it on certain cities and see what would happen. It's really interesting. Obviously, like, London, in terms of UK, London would be the, uh, probably the one that gets hit, you'd assume. And if I was living in Birmingham, I think you'd get, like, You'd be all right, but you'd have, like, radiation and stuff, and you'd have to... I mean, the whole country would be fucked, but yeah, we wouldn't die instantly. I think it, to get nuked, I think you want to be where the bomb drops, because then you're gone. You don't have to deal with it. The worst part is, like, the after effects, living with the radiation, the poisoning, all of that would be horrible. You There's a, a really good infographics uh, video on YouTube where they sort of talk about how this guy was only, like, a couple of miles away from the uh like a bomb in hiroshima and it sort of like documents his next sort of half an hour and it's saying how like the floor is just you know when you're walking on hot sand on holiday and it's almost impossible to walk on it he's like this is the floor where it's you can't walk on it and your shoes have been evaporated from the heat or like they've melted away but you keep walking because like like the pain is just you don't even register it anymore and like you look at your hands mm. and they're just blistered to fuck and burnt. Um, and he's like, there's like there's rain coming from the from the, the sky and you try to drink it. But then you realize it's black. It, like it's acid, black it? and it's not rain. It's ash. It's the oh. vaporized people and buildings that have just. Oh, uh, and you're like just. And also, apparently, um, the, the air around you is like. 60 degrees or something and then you've got like super heat wave uh wind rushes that just come through every now and then that are like plus 100 degrees and people just get like third degree burns from wind blowing in their faces and it's like oh my god it's just it's horrendous why would you do that to another person it's horrendous have you ever seen the film threads no i'd highly recommend watching it it's one of the most harrowing films you'll ever see it's just an everyday bbc one i think it might have been it's just an everyday family and then a nuke hits and it's just how they live after that. It's honestly, ha, oh, 
mm. you, you afterwards you feel like violated it is a, mm. such a harrowing film but my parents told me to watch it because they're like we had to watch this growing up like this is what it would be like it's like for me it's just a film that i can be like oh that's that's interesting but for them it's like this could happen yeah that's the thing isn't it that's this could genuinely happen <laughs> now over in russia however it was a different story on the 26th of september 1983 lieutenant colonel stanislav petrov of the soviet air defense forces was beginning his night shift at the supukov 15 bunker just outside of moscow he was the duty officer at the command center for their nuclear early warning system called oko stanislav's team used a very advanced technology for the time satellites now these satellites orbiting the earth monitored their enemies and was designed to detect heat signatures given off by a nuclear launch and track the plumes coming from the engine's exhaust using infrared very modern stuff so this is how they could like sort of detect it they're like okay severe heat signature coming from here we would recognize that as being one that came from maybe a nuclear missile and then they can track it and see where it's going okay now Petrov's team, although the heightened tensions between the USSR and the USS USA, never really had to do much. They monitored the skies day in and day out and luckily never had to do the unthinkable. Mainly, and obviously that's because it's, it's the reason why it's called the Cold War, right? It, nothing really happened. I mean, there were a few skirmishes and a few like proxy wars between the two, but never direct between the two because if there was they think the natural escalation would be nukes. But mm. that was until quarter past 12, the alarm goes off. The men around the control room are looking around at each other for confirmation of what they're hearing. It was the alarm they likely hoped never to hear. The satellites had detected a nuclear missile being launched from the United States of America and it was heading directly towards Mother Russia. Officer on duty, Stanislav Petrov, had a huge decision to make. But, who is this man at the helm on this night? And what events led him to this crucial moment? Well, Stanislav Petrov was born on September 7th, 1939, in an area called Vladivostok, now we all know that Russia is a big-ass fucking country, but to put into perspective, Vladivostok is so far east of Russia, it's bordered with China to the north, North Korea to the east, and Japan to the south. That's how far east it is. That's very east. Almost yeah, as well, east as you can get. Honestly, it is, really is. That's how big Russia is. Like it, Russia's, it, Russia's a fucking massive country, but most of it is very uninhabitable. That's what I mean. Like Russia has a big country, but half of it is not a country. Like everyone just pretty much lives in, I think mainly like one area. Surely, like they can't live all over it. I imagine the most inhabited place would be the west, an area. That's sort of where all the major cities are, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Now Vladivostok was a very important uh, region for Russia and uh, the USSR later on. Um, it was a key port region. It's really good. It's uh, Sea of Japan, I think, is like near it or that it's on it. Um, and from there, it can trade and do a lot of stuff. So it was quite an important uh, place for Russia. 
and uh, even, there was even border clashes with the invading Japanese army from Korea in 1938, a year before Stanislav was born. Um, now, the area bred hardy people, as Russians are known for, and Petrov's parents were no different. His father was a fighter pilot for the USSR during World War II, and his mother was noted as being a very hard and a very cold person, especially to Stanislav, who claims that she always preferred his younger brother. Now, by the age of 17, his parents were pushing him to leave and go be an adult. So he joined the military, more out of necessity than from a desire to be a soldier. But there he found a family. It wasn't so much the one he wanted, but it was the one that he got. And he also found love, marrying a woman called Raisa, or Raya, in 1973. And they would go on to have two children together. Now, growing up from his teens in the military, you can imagine the levels of doctrine drilled into his head. Maybe that's an unfair way of putting it, since Americans and many other peoples from various nations were also indoctrinated by their respective governments. What I'm getting at is that the patriotism drilled into recruits, and at this time of history, civilians, you're told by your state-run media and army superiors that the Western world is the enemy, that your way of living is the correct way. Not to mention if you ever disagreed with this during, say, Stalin's time, right? You'd end up in a gulag or worse, dead. You believe what you're being told, right? Then there's your awesome spy agency getting all kinds of saucy information from the enemy, including how to create your own nuclear weapons, which now puts you on a footing with the capitalist Americans, you can now be taken more seriously. And not only that, your nation recently sent Sputnik into orbit, the first man-made object to orbit the Earth. Then you sent a bloody dog into space with Laika. Then you sent a human with Yuri Gagarin. Man, the Soviet Union sure is the best place to be. It's technologically advanced, 0% unemployment. Things are just great here. And the Americans and the West are trying to stop you spreading that awesome communist way of life. Now, isn't that mad? When you put it into that way, you're like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, this is what you're told, this is what you believe, and there's no one to tell you otherwise, and when you're doing what your country thinks is good work, like spreading communism and spreading all this goodness, mm. and then you're told, well, these Americans, they absolutely hate the way we live, and they think it's terrible, uh, and the way they live is, like, awful, and they're trying to stop that, you'd be like, oh, well, I don't... Nobody wants to be. Kid. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Hmm. I mean, kids are a product of their environment. They'll always believe. I mean, it's that we're not going to get into the religion, but we do that every episode. But it's the same with yeah. religion, same with cults, same with everything. If a child is brought up believing a certain way, that is then how the child will will act. I remember my grandparents went to Russia, um, and I don't know how they found themselves in this situation, but they were in like someone's house, and they were talking about how they perceive each other and. The Russians were always like, oh, we we're always told that the West is bad. And obviously my grandfather's like, well, the West is told that Russia's bad. And they were like, actually, we're just enjoying some vodka and we're not actually that different. Yeah, yeah, that's actually it. And we do cover that a little bit later on. I, I just think when you put into perspective, when you put it into a perspective that's not necessarily our own Western view, although I was being a bit flippant and and uh, biased when I was talking about that, Um you can see why many were very patriotic and could easily see the West as being the true evil of the world when 
when someone comes in and tells you that everything you've known, everything that your country is built upon is bad or wrong, you tend not to have a positive reaction, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, completely agree. It's funny you should say this because one of the, the essay I've got to write for a couple of weeks is literally about how um, the West sort of imposes their culture onto the rest of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, we all do it. And it, it, it even goes down to standard civilians like yourself and me and maybe some of our listeners that are from the Western world and America and whatnot. And we, we go to places and we're like, this is so very different from what we're used to. But because like maybe that's where big business comes from or where money comes from, like other places around the world tend to adopt this culture to attract us more. Um, and I may- think one thing that sums it up the best for me, and I find this hilarious, is that Okinawa and some other places, basically places where America set up military bases in Japan, and it's more like an Americanized place now, they have much higher obesity rates than the rest of Japan. Is that right? <laughs> Literally, because America brought with it all of the fast food, all of that sort of shit. Whilst the Japanese diet generally is very good, but places with American military bases have higher obesity levels because of the culture. And I just find that incredible. That's fascinating. Now, this is a life that Stanislav Petrov has grown up in and defends as part of the military. Even in later life, he holds on to these feelings when he's confronted by an American talking about what the Americans thought about the Russians during the Cold War. And in this moment, he gets very defensive and he says, this is exactly what the Russians thought of America. Um, and he's even says, like, this guy was talking about him and he was like, oh, you're, you're such a fucking like a stupid goat, I think he calls him in his mother tongue, right? And he's like, you fucking goat or brainless goat, I think he calls him a brainless goat. And he's like, this is exactly what we were thinking about you. Um, and yet, like, that's just government talk. Like, because I don't give a toss about you. Like, I don't care. I don't see you as a threat. And you shouldn't see me as a threat. But because my government tells me that you are, and your government tells you that I am, you don't like my country. You don't like me just because of the country I come from. And and, and it touches on what you were talking about with your grandparents when they went to uh, Russia. And it's like that whole thing where it's like, well, because our government's told us that that's what we do. And so that's what we did. And it's like, if you just took five minutes to sat down and have a chat and you'd be like, no, we're just going to sit down and have a drink, eat some food and just get on. Mm. So, food for thought. mutually assured destruction or MAD, a term first used in 1962, meaning that with both sides having such destructive weapons that could not only annihilate each other, but the world have no incentive to use, creating a stalemate. This was the way of the majority of the Cold War. Yes, there were many proxy wars, but no direct conflict between the USA and the USSR for fears that nuclear weapons would be a natural escalation to try and end any war swiftly. But if one fired first, the other would naturally fire back in equal measures in a retaliatory strike. It was a tense period. Each side had the capabilities to destroy their enemy, but knew that using such weapons would almost certainly bring on the destruction of their own people. Nobody wanted to be the person to make that call. Nobody ever hoped that one side would be stupid enough to do it. Yet here we are, back in the command centre with Stanislav Petrov, the alarm blaring as the satellite system detects a nuclear missile being launched on its way to Russia. Men are shouting down radios, trying to get confirmation and coordinates to pass up to their officer on duty Petrov. The procedure was a pretty simple one. 
if a nuclear missile was detected by Soviet systems, an immediate and compulsory retaliatory strike was to be launched. Stanislav, being the officer on duty, was expected to call his superiors to confirm that a missile had indeed been launched. Once that was done, it would be out of his hands and a missile would be launched. And that is a pressure, isn't it? What a job. Like, your job would be to murder millions. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, 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 and the Russians later came out and said, Stanislav Petrov is not... Um, he was he was not directly uh, going to launch a nuclear missile. He was one cog among many, and he said, "Yeah, sure, sure, sure." But if he made the call, it would essentially start the machine going. Yeah, but I mean that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, immense pressure. Um, now, not entirely trusting the new satellite system, Petrov wanted confirmation from ground radar. He was constantly on the phone wanting updates from all his subordinates on what was happening before he made his decision on whether to make the call or not. And now nearly two minutes after the first alarm, a second alarm goes off. Another missile has been detected by the satellites coming from the USA. And I mean, what do you do at this point? One, you might think, ah, fuck. But two... The first one... Yeah, you'd assume you'd be nuked. Yeah, the first one you think, listen, can we just get a double confirmation from everywhere? Then another one comes up and you think, right, okay, that's now picked up two. Now, I could have maybe maybe played the first one and said that was a mistake, but there's there's two now. That's two Mm. from a different area as well. I mean... Very sus. How do you play that one? (laughs) Now, again, all the procedures are the same here. The okay, com- confirmation of the missile is passed off to Stanislav Petrov where it stops because he doesn't make his phone call. Petrov doesn't ring his superiors notifying them. He wants more confirmation. He wants ground radar to confirm sight of them, which they can't do. He even asks another team who are monitoring the sky from space to confirm two missiles, which, again, they're unable to do. Petrov wants a confirmation that the system that detected the missiles is working correctly and hasn't malfunctioned, and that's fair. So, right, run a diagnostic. I want that machine. Wor- I want to know that machine's working one hundred percent. And it, it that totally makes sense, right? And and, and that's exactly what yeah, I'm thinking, sure. right? Evidently, the satellite, and the machine, the system itself has malfunctioned, right? Mm. Yeah. And now, analysis of the system shows that it's not malfunctioning. All systems are operating fine. So now, our system that was at first not entirely trusted by the commanding officer has made excuses for it by saying, listen, I don't trust it, maybe it's malfunctioned, I want ground radar, I want the eye in the sky to confirm it, they can't confirm it, run a diagnostics on the system, okay, diagnostics has come through, it's working 100% perfect, no, no malfunctions have been detected. It- well, they've done the due diligence then, they've, they've checked it works, so, I mean, at this point, you do assume that it's correct. Yeah. And then the alarm goes off again. A third, a third. A third missile has been detected from the Calm USA. Calm down, America. That's three missiles, nuclear missiles, heading towards Russia. The early warning system is confirmed to be working correctly, but the eye in the sky has not yet seen if, if with their own eyes, a missile is on the way, and ground radar has also not yet detected it. 
So Petrov decides to hold firm till he receives confirmations from those two departments. Fair play. That's balls of steel. I mean, in such a high-stake job, you need someone at the helm who is very composed under pressure, and he seems very composed. Yeah. Now, the state seemed to 100% back this uh, early warning system. So, when this comes through as saying, yeah, it works fine, now, I imagine there were many, many other people, had they been working that night, would have just gone for it. Yeah, probably someone who's a bit more gung ho. Yeah. No, I think I think everyone got very lucky that uh, the correct man was in charge. So yeah, Stanislav holds fire for a bit, and then alarm goes again. A fourth missile. Petrov and his team are now beginning to sweat. They need to decide if the next minute or so, what they're going to do. If they leave it too late, they won't get a chance to retaliate. Many are screaming at Petrov to make the call confirming the launches. The system, they trust the system. It says that there are missiles coming. There is systems, there, there are missiles coming. Sweat drips from Petrov's head. He picks up the red phone, used only to confirm the sighting and recommend a, retaliation, a t- retaliatory strike. And once he picks up the phone, the alarm goes off again. A fifth missile <laughs> is on the way. Systems who it is uh, systems uh, who is de- uh, definitely there uh, it says it's definitely there but the eye in the sky and ground radar still can't confirm it millions of lives hung in the balance and they didn't even know it one phone call and millions of families mothers fathers children simply wouldn't see the next day and the numbers of people who would die based on one phone call really should be too much for one person to live with surely Mm. yeah for sure maybe that's why he was staying his hand yeah now to put into perspective uh, a minuteman missile from america um if you was to combine the power of every single bomb that was dropped during world war ii it would still only equate to about 60 percent of the destructive power of one minuteman missile from america just one that's a big bomb just one and there were i'm not joking james thousands of them in america and across the world almost trained at russia that that, that's just from america that's just from america thousands and russia had yeah because russia would have had the same point exactly exactly and and so that's how powerful they are and these these countries just have thousands of them and they 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 think they're going to use them now Mm. petrov waited for ground radar and the eye in the sky but neither could confirm the sighting of five missiles petrov put the phone down back on the receiver he didn't trust the new system and can you imagine at this point you've got i don't know maybe 10 20 Russian soldiers around you screaming at you telling you to make the call yeah probably worried about their families no exactly that exactly that worried about their families and they're thinking listen if this is going to come I want to get them back and I want it now do it now do it and he's like no I'm not I can't I can't do it I cannot do it he believed that if the Americans really did try the unthinkable and really did intend to finally kill off the enemy Sending five missiles 
wouldn't do the job completely and would only cause a retaliatory strike from Russia. And when talking about this moment, he said, quote, I really didn't want to be the cause of World War Three. If they attack my country, let my soul take on this sin. He was just like, listen, I, I can't be the one. I cannot be the one that does it. I can't do it. I can't do it. They can they can murder millions of my people, but I cannot be the one that does that to someone else. I can't do it. Mm. And ugh, ugh, just. And then. Can you just imagine the next minute or so as the room then just goes deathly silent as every member of staff in that room watches the screen on the wall as the first missile gets closer and closer, knowing that any second now it's going to disappear. And when it disappears, you know that means that millions of people will have died. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Would you make the call? Oh, what a what a question to ask on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I would. I couldn't do it. I could not do it, knowing no, knowing oh, what it will do. I don't believe in an eye for an eye. If they, if I'm getting nuked, I'm going to die regardless. I'm not going to take people mm. with me. Now, luckily for Stanislav, when the first missile disappeared on screen, nothing happened. Millions of Russians carried on sleeping soundly in their beds. There was no blast, no blinding light followed by a superheated wave atomizing the surrounding area and everyone in it. In the control room, the other missiles disappeared on screen. Comrades breathed a sigh of relief. Some had a tear in their eye, including Stanislav. And I'd be bawling my eyes out at this point. I, I, I would, knowing that I, I held firm, yeah. I'd be shaking, I'd be, I'd probably have pissed myself, I, I would be a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of weird. His hunch was right. There was a glitch in the system. They they couldn't figure it out initially, but it was later determined that the system had detected sunlight on high-altitude clouds and mistook it for heat expected to be found no with launches. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was. It was just, it was just um, light because it was an infrared system, right? So it detected the light coming off the high-altitude clouds, mistook it for heat, and that was like, five of them, done. And five, there was five, everyone. <laughs> Send your missiles back. Bloody hell. Uh-huh. Well, that's a shit system. They need to get a new one. Well, this is the thing. Um, oh, we'll get to it in a minute. Now, initially, Petrov was praised by his comrades, uh, many saying that he needed to make room on his chest for another badge. <laughs> they were like, you need to make room, that comrade. Make more room. There's going to be a big badge coming on. Um, and when he talks about it, like he's like smiling and laughing because he found it really funny still, like the people were saying that. Um, but this really didn't last long. Uh, he was in extensively questioned by his superiors and was actually later reprimanded for not filling his paperwork out on the incident correctly. Now, um, supposedly during this moment when it, it was all going off, he was supposed to be keeping a log the entire time. Mm. But because he didn't do it, because you know he was too busy stopping the world from fucking exploding, um, he got <laughs> he got a bollocking from his superiors. They were like, "What? Why have you? Why have you not filled? You've not filled out the paperwork." And it's like he was like, "I was I was pretty busy like trying to stop the world from exploding." And they were like, "It's not." I bet a lot of people listening to that because I had the same initial reaction of all oh, typical Russia, but I bet every single country in the world that has that power would do the same. America, UK, Germany, France, all the superpowers. 
would 100% reprimand them, that person as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it might have something to do um, with, uh, well, I don't know. I, I think they were having a go at him. Um, uh, hold on. Sorry, we'll get into this in a second. So he was never rewarded for his actions since to do so would be to acknowledge that the party and the scientists behind the system made errors. And I think that's the reason why he was reprimanded. It's to say, if we acknowledge you and we reward you, that means that we fucked up. I mean, to be fair, that is typical Russia, because you just look at um, Chernobyl, and they did the same there. Yeah. Like, the rest of the world knew exactly what was going on, and Russia didn't keep any documentation of it whatsoever, because their their pride gets in the way. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it was due to that. Like, to publicly acknowledge him as being a hero would to be say would, would, would be to say, we fucked up, we made a mistake. Yeah, and we nearly and Russia don't fuck yeah, up. We nearly blew up the world. Yeah. Um, oh, Russia. Yeah. Now, instead, he was actually demoted to a less sensitive post. Now, he suffered from a nervous breakdown later on, which is only natural. No shit. <laughs> um, he was the primary caregiver to his loving wife, who had actually it, during the entire night that he was dealing with the world not blowing up, his wife was at home he was pretty much her primary caregiver she'd been suffering from cancer from quite a long time and she was very very ill so he's got that bloody yeah he's got that at home and he's also in charge of like stopping the world or making the world blow up um so he had what a guy man yeah man um she wasn't getting any better so he decided to retire early from the military to focus on caring for his wife in her last years uh she would pass away in 1997 in in fact not knowing what her husband did that night in 1983 because it was never it never came out maybe, maybe he told her and he couldn't tell her. maybe he told her in private i don't know we don't know uh it it seems maybe he didn't because uh, uh, there's a documentary that he's even in and he sort of never really mentions much about it but um he does say mm. that the night he came home after it all happened and his wife was like how was work and he went nah nothing really happened <laughs> <laughs> Because as well, you think at, at, oh, at, at, wow. at the time, if he had divulged the sort of top secret uh, secret... Oh, you would have been killed. Yeah, exactly. Up. He could have been in prison, could have been killed, all that kind of stuff. And maybe he didn't want to put that on his wife, so maybe it just never came out. He also believed up until sort of about 2006 that um, if he ever spoke about this kind of shit like properly, um, he would be put in a gulag. He genuinely ble- believed that. But also, he grew up mm. in a Stalin era up until like 53 yeah. when Stalin popped his clogs. Um, this was about the sort of the time that he was joining the military as a teenager. So like he lived mm. in this era where you just don't talk about shit. Like, um, no. But yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. I, I, I like to think maybe he told her in private. Just you know, this is what I did. Yeah, you, you'd imagine so. Yeah, I hope she was proud of it. I would have fled to America and milked the fuck out of <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, but that's just me. Yeah. Now for over a decade after that, the world. Well, uh, sorry, for over a decade at the point of uh, our night the world would be unaware of how close it came to the end until 1998 when it was revealed to the public. Um, now, by this time, Stanislav had become a bit of a recluse after the loss of his wife as well. He was focused solely on looking after his dying wife and then became a very bitter old man towards the world. Um, kind of like how I imagine, um, you know, the old man from Up. He was kind of like that after he lost his wife. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. sort of really angry and bitter at the, at the world. Yeah, um, but obviously less cute because the guy, you know, it's just some angry <laughs> old Russian dude. Now, 
after she died, he didn't have much in the way to motivate him. I mean, he had two kids, but like, you know, they're adults, they're off doing their own thing. Um, his days were spent going to the offie to buy beers and fags, then heading back to his apartment to consume beers and fags. That was pretty much his day to day, right? Now, mm. which is a bit of a shame. It's so sad. Be- and because as well, like, it, it, his things were never acknowledged at the time, so his life sort of just never went anywhere. It just stayed as it was, and yeah, he got demoted. Now, after the knowledge of his heroics back in the 80s came to light in the late 90s many wanted to praise him including many from america of course because they were the ones that would be like we would have died (laughs) yeah Um, now in 2004 he was awarded the world citizen award and a thousand dollar prize by the association of world citizens uh in san francisco i believe uh news broadcasters and journalists began pestering him by ringing him for interviews and even showing up at his apartment uninvited wanting to speak to him this used to piss him off to no end he hated this yeah as it would uh this just literally turned up his flat and he's like what who who are you and they've just got like microphones in his face and he's like fuck off (laughs) uh in fact one company did get to him though this was a Danish film director who wanted to make a documentary on him, to which Stanislav reluctantly agreed. Now, this documentary was lovingly created following Stanislav's trip to the United States in 2006 to receive another World Citizen Award from the United Nations in New York. Now, the documentary is called The Man Who Saved the World and is really worth the watch. I, I highly recommend it. It's beautifully created. Um, Stanislav is in it. You see him, uh, and he talks about his shit, but he's also very reluctant to talk about a lot of stuff, and you, you can just see he's a very tortured old dude, man. He's been for a lot, and he's just very angry at the world. He just kind of... He, uh, he's so... He feels... Let, I mean, he, it seems to be like he feels he's let down by everything. Um, it, it's, it, it's worth the watch. I really would recommend it. Um... Now, in his acceptance speech to the United Nations, he says how he does not see himself as a hero and that he was, quote, at the right place at the right time, in very broken English, because he learnt sort of that, that one phrase uh, and a right. few other things to say to him. And, yeah, I, 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 they were said, like, heroes are humble, aren't they? And, you know, that's just where yeah. they are. And he says he's just at the right place at the right time. And I agree, because, like we were saying earlier, if had it had been someone else on duty that night, who was a bit more gun ho um, you know, that would have been it. He was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I'd also like to just, uh, just as a quick aside, during the Korean War, when China was considering joining North Korea to help out, uh, what's his name? Is he a general? General MacArthur, right? He's a pretty famous name in World War Two and uh, later on in American history and military history. General MacArthur wanted to use and this is not a joke he wanted to use tactical nukes along the north korean china border to stop china potentially coming into the war he was willing to use tactical nukes to kill millions of people or potentially millions of people along the border to just to stop china joining in on the war how fucking weird that the dude was like nukem and everyone's like no he's like nukem no this is the worry isn't it if this technology falls into the wrong hands yeah but this guy was around for World War Two. He was an active general in World War Two, so he knew mm. about Nagasaki. He knew about Hiroshima. He knew yeah. about the devastation that it caused, and was like, "Nuke him. It'll work." Oh, fuck that. Anyway, along the way during this documentary, the man who saved the world, he meets some famous names like Matt Damon, who, funny, 
it's hilarious. He has no idea who Matt Damon is. He's <laughs> <laughs> just got no clue. And bear in mind, it's 2006, so it's kind of a youngish da- Matt Damon. But um, yeah, like he's got no fucking clue who this dude is. And this guy's been in Saving Private Ryan. Um, <laughs> he's also there and he meets uh, Robert De Niro, who he does know and he does like. Right, but good. he also gets a he he does get a chance to meet his favorite actor of all time, Kevin Costner. No way. Yeah, Kevin Costner is his favorite actor. He absolutely adores That's him. Fair. I wonder if he's seen um, his um Robin Hood. Probably he loves Waterworld. <laughs> uh, and there's another one. There's another one. Um, I forget where it is. I can't remember where it is. It might be um Dances with Wolves or something. Um, but he honestly you get to see the moment in the documentary where he gets to meet kevin costner in his trailer and he's genuinely starstruck to see his movie idol it's very very heartwarming to see this because earlier in the film we see him really getting snappy at people and just like he's very angry and when he talks about the war the cold war sometimes he can get very like closed off and whatnot in this moment is honestly he's like watching a 14 year old watching jls it's it's so funny um but yeah uh, so Stanislav does however have some concerns for the future he's asked on many occasions if he believes that nuclear weapons will ever be used again in the future to which he firmly believes yes nuclear weapons will one day be used in warfare and said about this quote nobody would win in a worldwide nuclear war that's quite scary to think like even now like maybe he's just very bitter and pessimistic but he like he's like no they will get used at some point it's just like a natural escalation at some point someone's going to be stupid enough to do it i saw an article in the last couple of days where i think there has been a a, a unanimous decision amongst the world to never ever new use nuclear bombs which hopefully long may it continue um we'll find another way to wipe out our species i'm sure but hopefully that's not the way yeah, bio bio weapons like COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is all that thing, isn't it? Was it created in a lab? Who knows? Did uh-huh. someone fuck a pangolin? That's a oh. reference to the South Park uh, COVID special. If you haven't seen it and you like South Park, give it a watch. It's very good. Now Stanislav Petrov was recognised the world over as a hero for his actions or inactions, we might say. He was honoured with many awards, which also came with mon- money. Stanislav Petrov would die in 2017 from pneumonia, aged 77. Now, today, nine nations have nuclear weapons. The United States, the UK, France, Russia, China, Pakistan, India, Israel and North Korea. There's some interesting countries missing off that list. Like what? Like what? Like some European, like Germany, I would expect. Did you say Germany or do they not? So Germany have American missiles based in them. Ah, right. Because of the military bases, because of what Germany got up to prior. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nations, particularly in Europe, have uh, America, France or like UK as their like I suppose it's all op- NATO, isn't it? We're all, we're all in it together. Yeah, yeah. So there's like loads of like deals where they house nuclear weapons for them and all this yeah. kind of shit. I'm gonna suck our dick for a little bit, and I think the UK has the best system. I think Trident's a really good idea. Interesting. We will get on to Trident in a minute. Okay. Um. Now, 
while there are less nukes in the world today, around 14,000 in total around the world, down from 70,000 in 1986, nations like China and Pakistan, China, Pakistan and India are believed to be producing more and more. In 2017, the UN unveiled a treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons, which is probably the thing you were talking about earlier, um, to which 100 nations signed up to, to say, prohibit nuclear weapons. They should never be made. Anything, mm. nothing. Get rid of them. Guess which countries would, guess what countries weren't on that How many? Uh, bill? Give me, give, me, give me a number and I'll list them out. All right, there were four. America. Yep. Russia. Yep. China. No. Ah, was it India and Pakistan? These are European. Oh, is it? Was it UK? The UK and France. Fuck's sakes, guys. They all boycotted oh, this. That's so annoying. Yeah. America and Russia, I get it. They're going to be beefing with each other until the fucking world ends. You crack on. But we, we don't have to be part of that. In fact, the UK is actually in the process of renewing its Trident nuclear deterrent. Yeah, there's a whole thing about that, isn't it? People not happy that money's been spent. Now, I actually looked into this uh, a little bit, uh, according to like full fact. Uh, it actually, the 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 um the, there was always that. Do you remember that two hundred billion pound mark that was thrown around all the, all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually they've been given a budget of forty billion to renew the whole thing. Right. Um, which you know obviously is a significant amount of money. Uh, but I also looked it up, and obviously, throughout COVID. Uh, the amount of money spent on COVID is like three times more than yeah. Trident. This so, is the thing: people uh, don't really understand how budgets work. They're not good. They don't just have one massive room full of fucking money and be like, yeah. "I'm going to spend all of this on it." Like you get different <laughs> budgets for different sectors. Like fucking Oliver Twist just walking up to the big door. Please, yeah, sir, can I have some like more? Scrooge McDuck <laughs> jumping in his pile of money. <laughs> Uh, also, for reference, the uh, the NHS costs about 115 billion a year. I mean, that should naturally be our priority: health, schools, and all sorts. But oh, I think they've always got Trident. If you don't know, is a submarine that constantly circles the UK, and that is our deterrent. Like you don't know where it is at any point. Yeah. Um, and I think there's two of them, but only one is like one is going only... constantly, but then one will come yeah. in as another one goes out. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's a really good out. idea. Because in you just don't know where though? it is. Because what's but then what what why is it why is not knowing where it is better than just knowing where it is? Because then no one can take it out if someone tries anything. Uh, and then if someone like... do, and then if someone does attack Trident, you're like, right, okay, they're probably gonna want to nuke us now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I suppose. Yeah, if if you know where it is, you could potentially send in a small military unit that could maybe take it out. Or yeah. De- Whereas a submarine would be so difficult. Yeah, because no, you'd suppose. have to come into our waters with with no, you're there. You can't just get like a team of people in a helicopter to drop in, which wouldn't work. So tactically speaking, yes, it makes a lot of sense and it's very clever. Uh, morally, do we just need it? Because then, as well, like if 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 no one knows where it is at any time, we could scrap it and no one would know. Well, this is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, that morally, I disagree with nukes. Naturally, I don't want millions of people to die. Who does? But if if us having nukes stops someone else from launching it then i guess there is a greater good in it 
it would mm. to get rid of all nukes you need every single nation to get rid of all of them and as long as that's not going to happen no one will you can't just get rid of it and hope other people will otherwise you are fucked yeah it's a mexican standoff from the office isn't it really yeah so so the hope is that everyone's constantly pointing at each other and no one has the balls to do it because it would mean devastation for them as well mm. yeah yeah no exactly um so now, I, I i think i think it's fine in terms of being asked to press the red button, during our last general election, Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the Labour Party at the time, uh, was being relentlessly grilled um, and slaughtered. I don't understand him. why the fuck they went for him on that. Right, yeah. Like, all, so of he, the, all of the questions were literally like, would you nuke a country? Like, why the fuck would you ask anyone that? And no one else was asked that question. No. Would you Would you kill millions of people? If he said yes, the newspaper's going to tear him to shreds. If he says no, the newspaper's going to tear him to shreds. It was yeah. just a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt, so um, you know, not probably not to stale it too much because you could probably tell that James and I are probably a bit bitter about the whole thing. Uh, this guy was promising us free internet, um, so uh, we and missed that out on fucking quite a bit. great over the pandemic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have just? And then, and then obviously there was uh, over the pandemic there was the Conservatives came out with a um, we're going to cap the internet costs or something, and, and uh, Labour were like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. I wonder where you got that from? Yeah, I bet Corbyn um, wouldn't have had any parties either. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, yes, as I was saying, during the last general election, Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the Labour Party at the time, was getting a lot of stick in the media. He was asked, and it was it was about renewing Trident, basically, I think it was. He was saying that it's not something he believes we ought to renew. It's a big uh, a cost. It's a big expense that he thinks should be redistributed somewhere else. Uh, it's saying, listen, it's yeah, it's great as a deterrent call, but if no one knows where it is or whatever, you can kind of get rid of it. You don't necessarily need it. Also, what's the likelihood of anyone attacking us anytime soon like that? And then it became a whole, well, would you press the red button if need be? And it was like, he, he never really sort of went for it. I think at one point he did say he wouldn't. I think if I remember mm. right, I think he did say at some point, he's like, I wouldn't want to be the one that killed millions of people. And and that's, I think, the point. Um, why would anyone want to do something like that? And it basically, it's Stanislav's moment where he was like, I don't want to be the one that kills millions of women, children, fathers brothers sisters all of it i don't want to be the one that does that and i don't know anyone that would want to be that person why would you want to do that no you gotta be a special kind of fucked up and like you said earlier james you know it's not tit for tat it's it you know it's not an eye for an eye two wrongs don't make a right no. um so yeah suffer the consequences you know be that one that we're like listen we, we suffered whatever listen right so in terms of this do two wrongs make a right thing right in the uk today um boris johnson is the prime minister although after today's at the time of recording pmqs it's not looking likely everyone's asking him to, <laughs> to resign i don't know if you listen to it at all but it was a horrendous yeah, i'll watch the whole thing it was really um, <laughs> but um what boris johnson doesn't do is represent every single civilian in the uk on every level now yes he does represent the uk but does he represent every individual? Well, no, that's why we have uh, constituent MPs, like local MPs and whatnot. They represent us because I vote for them. Um, sort of, uh, listen, I think maybe a lot of countries do this, but obviously how we do it in the UK, uh, we don't vote for a prime minister. We vote for a party to run our local area. Um, and then they are part of a wider party. And the most, the, the people, the party with the most MPs, they're leader becomes the prime minister okay so um mm -hmm. i didn't vote for conservative in my last general election i'm going to assume james didn't either but my the area that i live in 
would have uh, voted Conservative because it won. Now, Conservatives now have a seat in the area that I live in. Uh, Boris Johnson is part the head of that party, became the Prime Minister by, you know, basically by proxy, right? Um, so the guy doesn't necessarily represent me. I didn't vote for him. I'm certain James didn't vote for him. Uh, if he was to send a nuclear missile to a country and that other country sends one back in retali retaliation, I'm now going to die for the actions caused by someone who does not represent me. Mm -hmm. And when someone's, so for instance, like when someone's relative is murdered, does that person's relative who was murdered, sorry, right, so when someone's relative is murdered, does that person murder the killer's relative in retaliation? Is that fair? So say you kill my sister, do I then kill your brother as retali retaliation and say now we're fair? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, probably not. Now, now scale it up, right? So when one nation launches a nuke murdering millions of people, do you send one back to murder millions of others who likely have nothing to do with the situation nor have anything to do with the person that sent it in terms of, I didn't vote for him. So listen, you're, you're about to kill me for a decision that some guy made that I didn't vote for. Yeah, yeah. I think world leaders should just have a big raw rumble. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> there is and a very... the winner just is the world leader yeah there's a very good i think it was like online somewhere saying that when two countries uh decide to go to war with one another it ought to be the two leaders just have a you know a fisticuffs in a field and whoever yeah, wins won the a war big old scrap <laughs> that'd be yeah. so funny yeah make because, it televised yeah. and everything put it on pay-per-view because like, listen right when you look at say look, take ukraine at the moment ukraine and russia and it's 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 getting you know quite hot over there um everyday ukrainians who just come get up have breakfast go to work they've got no beef with someone who lives in i don't know st petersburg in russia who gets up has breakfast and goes to work he's got no beef with him but putin no not at all they don't care exactly but it's like all it's all about government putin and he's like cronies it's, it's something for them what's that got to do with the russian people what's that got to do with ukrainian people it has nothing to do with them on that vein go and listen to our um yeah, go listen to our World War One truce episode. It's sort of on a similar, similar wavelength. People yeah. on opposing sides not want to fight. I um, one of my housemates is German, and we've spoke about this that our great grandparents or fathers, whatever, um, fought against each other. Yeah, like they were in opposing sides, like shooting at each other. Mm. And now we sit in the same house and we're really good friends. It's like they didn't want to be there. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> but even if they did, it it would be a product of what they've been told. Their governments and whatnot would have indoctrinated them into believing that what they're doing is the right thing. Yeah, and I know the Nazis come up a lot on this podcast, but the Nazis never got a majority. No, no, they took power. They took it. They forced it. They they grabbed it. Yeah, which is why it's unfair to say that it was like Germany against the world. It was it was the Nazis really. Yeah. They were the issue. Yeah. Well. I think we've put the world to rights. That was uh, that was the episode on Stanislav. That was a good episode. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Stanislav Petrov, the man who saved the world by doing nothing. <laughs> Top bloke. Top, bloke. Top Som bloke. Sometimes nothing is the best thing to do. Yeah. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Ronan Keating. Yeah. <laughs> Ronan Keating. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I hope everyone else enjoyed that episode. Listen, you don't understand how bloody close you came to not even existing. I, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, we're in the UK. We'd be all right, wouldn't we? 
No, because we were an ally of the US. We'd have to have joined in. <sighs> Bastard. Yeah, I know. America would have been eventually. on the phone as like bombs were being dropped, being like, go for it. And we'd have gone, okay. I would let it ring out and just text like, what do you <laughs> want? <laughs> New phone, who dis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, imagine that, just looking up at the night sky. It's like loads of fucking missiles just cross paths. And you're like, none of this is going to hit me. This is great. <laughs> yeah, go, turn um, off light, go back to bed, deal with it in the morning. <laughs> now, dotted around, uh, if you if you are from the UK, obviously we do get a lot of UK listeners now, which is really cool. I think we actually have more peop- listeners from our own country than we do from America, which is like for the oh, first couple of months, that's that's been a, a changeover, which is awesome. So it hi, everyone. It just means the podcast scene in the UK is growing, which is wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So uh, hi, everyone, if you're... Re- recent uh if you're new to the show and you're from the uk um there's loads of uh disused nuclear um bunkers up and down the country uh, there's one in essex that's quite famous called kelvin and hatch uh i would recommend you go look at it if you are interested in the history and um how the uk was prepping for the cold war and an, and, and a nuclear uh, uh war um check it out it's really fascinating and also frightening um you know how how much detail goes into this shit like it was an all too real threat um for a lot of them mm. so yeah check that out um obviously guys uh, you may have been expecting british monarchies part two <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think this is why i'm so stressed because i know i've got that shit to do as well i've got yeah. all these assignments and then honestly people might have loved that episode my brother is a genuine historian and he listened to it and he came around and spoke to me about it and was like well yeah like you couldn't really have got anything wrong because you didn't give that much information so, like, brilliant yeah fair <laughs> he did say we got something wrong i think we called someone a son-in-law when it was like a brother-in-law or something i forget oh that would got be a problem harold just, godwinson just go right yourself. i don't care yeah that was literally it. yeah 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 i said it before i'm not a historian like if you've got an issue just go on wikipedia you don't have to be here yeah just let us know that we made the mistake and then you know these these monarchy episodes have made me so aggressive it was such a bad idea (laughs) um so yeah obviously yeah you guys were expecting british monarchies part two uh stanislav petrov is coming instead uh simply because like uh, james has been hitting at it's a mammoth of a series uh and obviously uh he's very very busy at university at the moment so um yeah it's it's coming it'll end soon though so it'll be out very soon don't worry it's coming uh, all right, so thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, I've mentioned all the things at the beginning, so I won't go over it again. Yeah, you did it at the start, so they couldn't escape. Yeah, you can't escape. Um, uh, join us, uh, I'm going to say next week, but next episode. Um, whenever. Whenever. Uh, yeah, and make sure you follow us on all the socials. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon. Ta-ra.